Hey everybody, it's Kai. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Corner Office Podcast. This month on the pod, all my guests are going to be people running nonprofits and charities. Last week, we talked with the co-presidents of Baby to Baby. They help get baby supplies and kids supplies to families. Today, we have Jonathan Reckford. He's the CEO of Habitat for Humanity, or Habitat, as it's called. It's one of the most well-known nonprofits out there, fueled by the hard work and sweat equity of volunteers around the world building homes for families who need them. It's not always easy to do this work with all that's going on with the affordable housing crisis. I spoke with Mr. Reckford about the ways that Habitat is trying to help. And his new book, Our Better Angels, is filled with the lessons he has learned on the job running a global nonprofit. So here he is, Jonathan Reckford. We're expecting you. Won't you have a seat? Ready to go to work? Jonathan Reckford, welcome to the program. Thanks, Kai. Great to be with you. I think there are some things we need to clear up, first of all, about uh, your your business, your company, and how you guys work. I think probably everybody or many people think you just build houses and give them away. That is not, in fact, the case. That is true. That's one of the biggest myths about Habitat. In fact, we're best known for two things that turn out not to be true. First, that we <laughs> give away houses. We don't. We actually sell them to families who put in hundreds of hours of sweat equity helping build their homes and their neighbors' homes, and then they pay back an affordable mortgage, and we recycle those funds back into the same communities. The other is that President Carter started and runs <laughs> Habitat, which is also not true, though, uh, uh, though he certainly put us on the map. Yeah, for sure. And we'll get back to the former president in a minute. But uh, a word here about you. Just ticking through your resume, uh, Goldman Sachs, Marriott, the Walt Disney Corporation, Circuit City, uh, how did you wind up running uh, a nonprofit that does global work like you do? You know, I think God has a sense of humor. Uh, My career in some ways never made complete sense. Great opportunities just kept coming along. But I had always planned on trying to learn in the private sector and then eventually take that to a mission that that I could get really excited about. And I and looking back, all of those roles actually have turned out to be incredibly helpful. You mentioned God and, and your sense of mission. It's worth a note here, and I'm I'm pretty sure you wrote this in the book, that you actually went to business school in furtherance of your faith, right? I did. You know, I I, I had the idea which is now mainstream, um, but wasn't so mainstream back in the dark ages when I went to, to grad <laughs> school that the same skills that are needed to run companies are needed in the public and nonprofit sectors. And now I think there's a, a great recognition that we need professional management of our nonprofits just the way we do of our businesses. How does that manifest for you? I mean, you do get out there, as you write in this book, and, and swing a hammer alongside uh, the former president and, and many, many thousands of others. What does it look like, though, as you, uh, a guy who comes from the very corporate, very for-profit world, try to run this um, mission-driven nonprofit? You know, Kai, it was interesting. The the transition I had between when I left Best Buy and coming to Habitat uh, was a was a bumpy one. I actually left thinking it would be easy to get a, a job leading in the nonprofit world. It wasn't that easy. I'd had an advocation of helping grow churches just the way I'd worked on growing businesses. And to my surprise, my local church, which has exploded in size, asked if I would come and help lead the church. Hmm. And it wasn't what I was looking to do from a career perspective at all. But it turned out to be the perfect complement to my corporate background to be ready for Habitat, which is a, an interesting hybrid between a, a global corporation and, mm-hmm. a, and a denomination. Can we talk about growth here for a minute? I mean, when you took this job in 2005, uh, it was 125,000-ish something uh, that you were working on. And now it's in, in the millions and tens of millions? Yes, we have um, 
had a really exciting growth. And in some ways, that was a good example of, of taking business principles and thinking about how they could apply. And so uh, in in growing from 125,000 to over 7 million a year. That's, that's individual served, sorry, just to give it a- Individual it a, served, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you. And we couldn't do that only by growing um, the way we had traditionally grown, though we've grown our traditional work as well. It started by changing the framing question from how many houses can we build, which was a really good question, to what would it take to meaningfully reduce the housing deficit in all the markets that we served around the world, hmm. which was a much scarier question. And to do that, we really had to think about how markets worked and change the way that markets worked so that low-income families could actually improve their own housing. And that led us into advocacy and property rights and housing microfinance and now a shelter venture lab and supporting entrepreneurs that are coming up with better building products for very low-income families. Families. Do you have staff economists grinding out all this research for you? We don't. We try to leverage. Uh, we have some really smart program people, and we have all kinds of partnerships with yeah. the private sector, with universities, with uh, with others. And so it has been a mix of, of things that we came up on our own, but also observing what was happening out there and finding great ideas and then figuring out how to syndicate them around the world. Yeah. Um, uh, can we talk labor market here for a minute? Uh, you depend uh, – almost entirely, I mean, in, in, in overwhelming proportion, on volunteers to come help uh, you do this good work. Um, and yet the labor market that people get paid for is really, really tight. How do you convince people to give up their precious, precious time? You know, it's really interesting. Um, outside the U.S., we are much less dependent on volunteers. Typically, we have a lot of volunteers available in middle and high-income countries, mm. far mm. fewer volunteers available in very low-income countries. And so in a place like Haiti or Bangladesh or Malawi or Cambodia, the families are actually helping one another build. So it's a sense of community building. The principles are very similar, but it's not necessarily high-income volunteers coming out and, and working alongside. And so in some ways, the scaling has come from f helping making it easy for families to upgrade their own housing. But we've also grown our traditional work with volunteers. And the answer is, is the constraint for us is actually not more volunteers. It's the land. Um, <laughs> and it's interesting. It, we have global movement to cities, rapid urbanization. And that means land has accelerated in cost far faster than incomes. And that's the underlying challenge here in the U.S. and around the world in our cities. And so for us, um, we could actually put more volunteers to work if we had more land. This is a, a, a terrible way to frame this. And people will hear it and it will go right by them as they're driving down the freeway. And I'm going to get mean tweets and, and angry emails about it. But the affordable housing crisis is really an opportunity for you, both here and globally. You know, it's a sad opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Um, we we look forward to the day when we have we can move on to something else because, as our mission says, everyone already has decent housing. But I would say it has raised the it has gotten so bad that finally housing has is higher on the visibility list. If you had asked five years ago, housing would rate maybe number yeah. eight on people's priority list. Even though if you ask somebody who didn't have good housing, it would be right at the top of the list. What's happened now um, is it's actually gotten so bad. I think that middle class families, their children can't afford housing. Mm -hmm. And so it, it suddenly has become visible. But it's been a crisis for a long time. Right. And, and a political issue here uh, in this campaign. Folks are talking about it for next year. Um, speaking of which, uh, you mentioned this briefly in passing a few moments ago. Uh, but do you anticipate um, Habitat for Humanity becoming more vocal and active in its advocacy work on this issue that is so central to your mission? It is your mission. 
we we actually already have become much more vocal. We are just finishing a four-year campaign in about 40 countries called Solid Ground that was all about property rights uh, and the right to stay on land for especially women and marginalized groups. And we've had some real wins because, of course, if you don't know that you have the right to stay on your land, it doesn't make sense to invest in upgrading your housing. Mm-hmm. Here in the U.S., actually in June, we launched our first ever U.S. campaign called Cost of Home, and we've launched it with 300 local and state campaigns across the country. And it's really all about bringing awareness to the fact that we have uh, one in four families can't afford housing uh, as a reasonable percentage of their income. They are, hmm. And we've got uh, 19 million families that are severely cost burdened, spending more than half their income on housing. And so uh, in this case, we are advocating for the entire spectrum of affordable housing, even though Habitat's particular niche is affordable home ownership. Uh, a, a thought here about um, the, the nuts and bolts of how you do what you do. You depend heavily, as you said, on corporate partnerships. Your brand, mm-hmm. uh, personified by, as you mentioned beforehand, uh, former President Carter, is critically important. Um, how do you capitalize on that and build on it in a way that doesn't betray the mission, right? Because you have to act in some ways as a for-profit growing enterprise, yet with this service mission. You know, I think for us, the axiom I've used for years now is we want to be religious about our principles, but not our tactics. So we hmm. we have we want to stay focused on shelter. We have a set of core principles in terms of how we will serve in communities uh, that start with working with the community and that the solutions start with the community. And then we want to bring in every kind of partner. So we, we changed our language that we want to be a partner and catalyst for worldwide access to safeties and affordable housing. And to do that, that means we need the private sector and the public sector and the social sector working together because it's so complex, Kai, as you know, uh, to try to change hearts and minds. You live in the epicenter. You know, NIMBY is something that happens all <laughs> over the world, not in my backyard. In California, it's banana. Yeah. Build absolutely nothing anywhere near anything. And so we have got to change hearts and minds in order to change policies so that we can build and increase the supply of of affordable housing or housing that is affordable uh, for people. All right. Well, look, so to that point and to uh, actually the reason you're on the program today, uh, the book you have written, the title is Our Better Angels, and you write about uh, virtues that will um, change your life and and then hopefully the world. I, I do have to ask, at this time, in this country where um, there are great stresses, um, does that, does that um, distract you from what you're trying to get done? You know, it, it actually is aimed right at what we're trying to get done, Kai, because this, the book, the idea for the book, and this is a heart book, not a strategy book, yeah. really came from an op-ed we did with President Carter um, a couple years ago after Hurricane Harvey clobbered Houston. And the observation President Carter made is after the hurricane, suddenly neighbor helps neighbor. And we see, and you don't care if the person coming down to rescue you is a Democrat or Republican, if they're from a different race or religion, you're thrilled they help. And we have this incredible sense of community. And his question is, why can't we have that sense of community every day? And for us to do the policy changes, to do the advocacy, to bring the people and get the resources to meaningfully expand the supply of affordable housing will take people building together. And and I actually think part of Habitat's legacy, ultimately, um, in addition to the houses we build, will be the fact that Habitat's always been about breaking down barriers Mm. and bridging. And I think the biggest barrier that we bridge is the socioeconomic one. We bring Mm. people together across socioeconomic lines. But I I have also built with Muslims and Christians in 
Egypt. I've built with Hindus and Muslims in India. I've built with Protestants and Catholics in Northern Ireland, blacks and whites in South Africa. And I have even built with Democrats and Republicans. And so <laughs> I believe it is, um, it is actually possible when you – when we do something that ap- applies to everyone's common values, it allows them to focus on what they have in common as opposed to what separates them. And so I actually think this book is needed more than ever to remind people that real change comes about because accumulation of everyday people going out and doing something in their community adds up to change. Jonathan Reckford, he's the CEO uh, of Habitat for Humanity International. His book out uh, now is called Our Better Angels. Mr. Reckford, thanks for your time, sir. I appreciate it. Great to be with you, Kai. Thanks so much for having me. There it is, my conversation with Jonathan Reckford. If you're curious about the book, we've got an excerpt of it about his experiences building homes in India with former President Jimmy Carter. That's on our website, marketplace.org. Another episode for you soon featuring people leading in the nonprofit sector. So subscribe to the show, would you, wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Corner Office Podcast is produced by Bridget Bodner. This episode by Bennett Purser. Marketplace is produced on the radio by Nancy Fargali. Satar Nieves is the Executive Director of On Demand. Deborah Clark is the Senior Vice President and General Manager. I'm Kai Rizdal. Another episode for you, as I said, in a couple of weeks.